four. Our topic is tourism, old and new. We're going to talk about two old travel maps and one sort of newer travel map um, in this episode. So the three maps are, number one, the itinerary from London to Beauvais. And that one is found on the British Museum website. Beauvais is spelled B-E-A-U-V-A-I-S. The next one we're going to talk about is John Ogilvy's Britannia Atlas from 1675. And we're going to talk about one particular page of the atlas because there's a bunch of pages. Uh, but we figured we'd just focus on one. Um, and so the one that we are focused on for this episode is titled The Road from London to the Land's End. You can find it on Wikipedia using those search terms, The Road from London to Land's End, John Ogilvy. And the third one that we're going to talk about is the Stavanger Guide Map, the English, that it comes in many different um, flavors of language. But uh, the one we'll talk about is the English one. And if you look up stavanger-guide.no slash maps, you should be able to find the English city guide that we'll talk about. So just to start us off, uh, going back to the first one, the itinerary from London to Beauvais. Yeah, uh, the itinerary from London to Beauvais. I thought, well, first it shows the route from London to Jerusalem with indications of the length of each part of the journey in days listed between the destinations. And it has pictorial representations of the chief towns along the route, which I really enjoyed seeing. And I just feel like that is immediately reminiscent of any sort of travel or tourist map. You've really seen wherever you go, there's always something fairly pictorial about it. I actually was, I was talking to my best friend, Mary, about tourist maps because I was looking at them. And she was like, oh yeah, tourist maps, they're they are a lot like amusement park, park maps uh, that they just always yeah. have this like, like, look at me, like I'm here, like this is really big and other stuff is really generalized. And I'd never really thought about that before, but it's so true. Um, it's really like, there's stuff brought to the fore through the, larger pictorial elements and then there's always a lot of generalization and kind of design elements that are thrown into the map that maybe you wouldn't necessarily typically see and i and that's basically the same as this um itinerary from london to babe yeah yeah it's kind of like i see what you're saying like with the like a map of disney world or something it's hey here you're here's this attraction and here's this attraction. It doesn't really matter how you, you know, you, you get there from this road or whatever, but what you see along the way isn't as important. Um, but what's really important is the attraction while you're there. So yeah, I see that. It shows the power of the cartographer to get you to go to a certain place versus not go to other places. Um, yeah, the, so yeah, so this map, uh, that's supposed to be from, well, London, I guess this particular page that we're looking at, the London to Beauvais, is, uh, London to Paris, and it's this Benedictine monk named Matthew Paris. And I was like, oh, a guy named Paris was making a map to Paris. Um, but actually, he's Matthew of Paris. And 
I don't know, Matthew Paris became his name. So it's the medieval map from the, from 1250. Right. So I guess maybe that's how some Benedictine monks got their names anyway. So Matthew Paris made a map from, of how to get from London to Paris and then on to Jerusalem eventually. Um, and oh, as I was reading about it, he was, this is really special because for the most part, they just wrote out itineraries for each other. Like you go from this city to this city, to this city, to this city. And it would be like saying, okay, to get from San Francisco to Boston, you go San Francisco, Denver, Boston. And that would be, that's their quote unquote map. This is like the first time where they put in pictures in between the words of the cities and towns. And so he was kind of, I guess Matthew Paris was kind of uh, really uh, uh, doing something unique here and creative that was really quite special and also beautiful. I don't know about you, but what do you think about the pictures? I, j I thought the watercolor effect was quite beautiful. Yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. And for me, so um, as you know, Gretchen, I, I have looked at a lot of old maps because of the my thesis for folks who don't know, I, for my thesis defined pre-1900 styles, specifically woodblock print, um, copper plate and lithography, not unfortunately everything pre-1900s. But looking at this, my immediate thought was just like, whoa, I'm, I'm really used to these types of buildings and seeing them kind of increased in size and also painted with a paintbrush rather than um, through um, the tools that would be used for woodblock. Uh, carving uh, was kind of nice because it allowed some of the you know, more beautiful details to come to the fore in terms of curvature and stuff. And I, yeah, I feel like that was the first thing I noticed. Um, like, I mean, it's very 13th century European maps anyway. I do want to flag that because it's not necessarily representative of the entire world. But uh, yeah, I, I also thought um, it was really beautiful, but I also thought it was interesting because the fact they were using a different tool a paintbrush instead of carving into a map. They also could have added more detail if they wanted to. And so it was interesting to me that with it increased size and ability to add more detail, they chose not to. Um, so it was still in a way minimal because it could have been more, uh, but it's like still really beautiful and well-balanced. And it also maybe was intentional because maybe they wanted to make sure people really focused on the exact sort of like cognitive relationship between what they normally see on a map and then kind of just like growing that bigger, which I guess is exactly why, like maybe I guess they were like, this is still a symbol and not just a building. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, I see your point about it being, it's, it's a building, but it's also, you're right, it's just symbolizing that location. And I wonder if you're, so you're saying there's not as much detail as this guy could have put on here. Um, I had read, that he actually didn't ever take this route. He didn't really know. He and and I'm wondering <laughs> where he got his data. You know, how does he know? But so he never actually took this pilgrimage. I guess not many did. They wouldn't have had the money to. Um, and and so he, he never went. That could be why it's a little bit sparsely detailed. Um, yeah, it would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's like you and me making a map of places we've never 
been to. We're trusting the data. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah, it's true. I also am like, I certainly would always be really cautious about any sort of extra aesthetic embellishes embellishments, even if they were allowed, because I don't know the area. Uh, that is a good point. I didn't think to look that up. I just remember being like, whoa, you could have added like more stuff here, but I also really appreciated that it wasn't that. I, I guess it was just interesting because I just kept previously thinking about how the the lower level of detail in the woodblock prints was due to not being able to add more. So like my thought process was like, whoa, people still wanted to do it honestly the same, like with brushes and at a larger size. I also like, um, Notice that the typeface, well, the lettering, the script, I mean, was also fairly standard for maps of that time period. Again, like European maps of that time period. And that is called black letter or Gothic script or textura. People might be possibly used to seeing that name because I think it's a, a it's the name of an available typeface in browsers and on some computers. Um, and I just thought it'd be interesting, like I thought that was really interesting too, just to like see it continue to be used outside of like woodblock maps where I spent a lot of time reading about black letter script during my thesis time, so that was cool to see. Um, and that particular um, typeface was used between the between 1100 and, uh, AD and the 17th century, so it did get a lot of use, so I guess it isn't as surprising to see it. <laughs> I love to nerd out about typefaces. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to have to try that typeface on a map now. So this is also what we call a strip map. Like I saw, it, I saw it described like think of a comic strip, except turn it to the left 90 degrees. So you start at the bottom left. That's where you start your travel, and then you move up the strip, and then down to the next one. So it's bottom to top, left to right. And that's how you read these. And I'm not quite sure if this is the very first one, but um, it's definitely a, a kind of an interesting convention. I suppose the idea is that you could actually cut these out and tape them together and make one long strip as you're, as you're walking the path. Uh, so the Ogilvy Britannia Atlas map that we are looking at um, when I clicked open the link, I got really excited because I could immediately tell it was a woodblock map. Um, I'm, I guess I'm talking about woodblock maps a lot, actually, but they're one of my favorite aesthetics, not even like counting my thesis, like in mapping history, just because it has so much visual texture that is actually caused by so many of the imperfections that um, are made due to the process just being having being like sharp tools carving into a piece of wood that is not very easy to carve into in terms of curvatures or creating a perfect circle. And then when you press it into a piece of paper, the ink kind of spreads a little. So then what actually results is having a lot of imperfect lines and then having, you know, the ink not always be perfect um, when it's like the ink coming from the the woodblock. And when people paint with brush strokes, like the watercolor, they also don't always try to stay within the lines. So then there's also imperfections, like where people paint after they do everything. So that's why it's one of my favorite aesthetics because of all those imperfections. So when I looked at it, I was like, yes, woodblock print, we can like analyze an actual woodblock print, which is just funny since the previous one in my head was emulating the woodblock print aesthetic via brush strokes. <laughs> 
but this one actually is yeah block. Yeah. awesome that's a great segue i think into the into the ogilvy map um i did not know it was woodblock but i suppose that makes sense because they were going to make more than one right so would that be the advantage of using a woodblock yeah i would say so um I, typically there were multiple copies and um they're all the, the cool thing about woodblock too is every copy while the same map always looked different because the ink you know changed or the way someone painted or chose not to paint the map changed too so that's pretty cool that being said there probably wasn't loads of copies um or i guess maybe just not many that survived <laughs> yeah um interesting yeah the this particular one is again you read it from left to left and then bottom to top or left to right bottom to top um it's got this big cartouche at the top which is cartouche just means like an ornamental frame and each one was a little bit different on each page it also has these north arrows or uh, compass roses and the particular one that i'm looking at if you're looking at the same one the road from london to land's end what is the deal with the compass rose because on the other pages did you notice they sort of forgot to finish these or something there i don't know the one on the left strip is has all the little pointy things in the middle of the circle <sighs> all the directions i guess i could say um then the other five those just have nothing inside the circle oh my gosh i did notice although i guess i interpreted differently because I was like, ooh, that's really cool. They really like were trying to put so much focus on the left side. Maybe they loved London more, or that's just what everyone was familiar with. And then in order to show subtle changes in the route, they made the subtle but impactful sort of orientation shift. Um, well, it's not like super subtle because the compass is still rather large, but like because it doesn't have stuff inside of it, then it's subtle. So then I thought, like, oh, like. It's not, not everything's facing north or I don't, you know, whatever that is supposed to mean, but maybe that's just helping someone understand like this isn't a straight road. Um, that was my interpretation anyway, but it also could just be like they got lazy and didn't want to finish it. <laughs> well, that's, that's such a good observation because is it a design decision or is it because they got lazy? And as a cartographer, you never want your reader to have to make that decision. <laughs> is this because Gretchen was lazy or... Was this intentional? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the former. <laughs> I mean, it, I bet it was because they're lazy and they're like, this totally is a good idea as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. And of course you see London and this like vibrant burst of detail in the lower left alongside like the colors it has, the blue river going up and texture and the compass rose is really detailed on the left. But then as you move along the route, it's so, it's so much less detail, but that doesn't make it any less interesting. You really are just seeing exactly what they want you to go to and see, no more, no less, really taking a sort of generalization to the extreme. Um, I also thought it was interesting, <laughs> like looking at it, I was like, oh yeah, I feel like I'd be way more excited to go to some of these locations more than others. Like there was these sort of lush green mountain areas or like just generally brown mountainous areas as well that still were in color or areas that had 
slightly more buildings or cool, interesting looking buildings versus spots that had like two buildings. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess it's the same on a normal tourist map too. We were like, oh, I guess that looks okay. Maybe I'll skip over it um, or like a travel map as well. <laughs> Well, yeah, so this map, I went down this huge rabbit hole on this map today. I mean, there is, uh, if you go on Amazon and maybe some of the other places too, there is a documentary about this atlas. It's called Terry Jones's Great Map Mystery. And I watched quite a bit of it. It's fascinating. And he asserts that the entire atlas is actually this sort of part of a secret project uh, to replace parliamentary government at the time, remember this is 1675, uh, to replace it with a strong monarchy. So, um, you know, basically <laughs> the I can't remember his name. I think it's Charles is like sort of in exile in France and France is really strong and it's run by the Catholic church is like their religion. And he wants to go to back to England and become and make the monarchy strong again. And he wants to use this Atlas essentially uh, as a way of getting troops around. So they know where they're going and figuring out which bays are suitable for big warships to to go into. And <clears throat> that is just this whole background that I don't know a lot about, but it's, I think that watching the documentary um, is highly encouraged because it's pretty fun. And, um, you know, just, but just from a cartography standpoint, essentially one of the huge things that Ogilvy did here was he made it one inch to one mile. That was a big scale sort of innovation, made it easy to understand. And he also straightened out the roads, um, uh, which isn't an innovation per se. We saw this in our last medieval map uh, that we talked about, but just straightening them out and not having it be ge totally geographically correct so that you can follow the road is fine. And each uh, strip actually changes where, you know, where's north on each strip changes, which is why each strip needs a compass rose. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought that was really great too. And in terms of like the routes themselves, I also quickly noticed yet again that a la typical travel tourism map that still exists today everything was really stripped away that was not required and didn't you didn't need to know like the the side roads or like roads that went to other cities they weren't drawn out in any particular fashion beyond just a couple little lines and then a note saying to whatever city or town and in terms of the places that were a little boring looking for me like maybe I wouldn't want to go. It is kind of different because if it was today, I could actively choose not to go to those places in a tourist map. But for these people, they definitely are stuck on the route and absolutely have to go there. So it is kind of important, even if it looks boring. And they have like these things that they definitely need that probably in most cases we wouldn't necessarily need to be worrying about, which is like, great, there's a couple places to sleep there and to get food and stop and like, pick up supplies as needed. So in that sense, um, knowing where every single sort of possibly habitated space was important for sure. I guess it's kind of like, we still need bathroom icons on maps for right. <laughs> a city. 
well, I want them anyway. They're not always there, I guess, but I would always like that, honestly. Public bathrooms, wherever I am, that would be ideal. <laughs> yes. The next map that we're going to talk about has that. Um, and yeah, I think that knowing your audience, knowing what they need, um, I suppose <laughs> if I want to get really gross about it, you didn't really need a bathroom back then. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, anyway. I true <laughs> moving on um but this this map also a cool thing about it is that it was really the first time that town plans of these towns were created um and so on this particular one you see a little town plan of london but a lot of the small towns didn't have plans drawn out and this atlas that ogilvy made really uh, made that happen for them. And so as a historian for a town, this would be a great thing to have because you could see how your town looked back in that time. Yeah, that's really cool. I definitely like was fascinated by the London part, especially more so, I think, because it was kind of the only one that was such a high level of detail. So I kind of just stared at it and then enjoyed following the river, like going up the page. And it really felt, it felt really like smooth feeling. And like, I just really liked the way it looked, not even considering that it's just informational. <laughs> yeah, the strip on the left is really well balanced design wise. And that I guess was just a fortuitous, you know, geographic happening, which we love when that happens, right? Gotta love it. <laughs> So yeah, that's just, uh, that's about all I have to say about that one. So the next one we want to talk about is the Stavanger Guide map. And it was made by a cartographer named Kevin Paul Scarro or Scarrot, I'm not actually sure, S-C-A-R-R-O-T-T. And he made this, I want to say about 10 years ago. Um, and it is a more mo obviously this is a modern travel map or tourist map that you would find in most cities and indeed this particular map is I remember seeing a picture of him standing next to it because they made it really really big and basically pasted it up along the sidewalks in the town or in the, the small city I think there's about 130,000 people in the city of Stavanger Norway and so that's really cool. I mean, as a cartographer, if I had my map in, you know, four foot by six foot size in the middle of a city, that would be really wonderful. And I guess here we see some similarities to the other ones and that we see little buildings just like in, in 1250 in the medieval map or 1675 in Ogilvy's map. Yeah, I liked seeing the pictorial buildings yet again. Um, salient landmarks. Um, one of, I, okay, so salient landmarks is my favorite phrase that I learned as a cartographer in school. Salient just means that it's really recognizable and that you remember it. It's like saliency. So if you ever want to sound like you know a lot about mapping and you want to point at something that's just a, a reference, you know, when you're trying to give people directions, you'd be like, oh yeah, the salient landmark I always use is like you turn at the McDonald's on the corner. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, 
in particular, these buildings, I also like these are these are detailed yet still highly generalized as well, just like the older maps. So in that sense, not much has changed um, beyond just the lines just being perfect because they were created on screen and with computer accuracy. Um, but it's interesting when I looked at this map, I knew it was obviously of a particular city, but I felt like a lot of us had seen this kind of map in some city, like this aesthetic and color felt really familiar to me. I like, I actually looked it up because I was like, oh, is this like a big company, a big tourist map company? And do they do that everywhere? And it seemed very, it's, it's very focused just on Norway type maps. And then I looked at other European tourist maps and um, they all look different, of course, but the reoccurring theme was that the roads were a lot thicker and legends, a lot of legends and these kind of tourist maps have these really big circles on the map and then a le the legend has the big circles to orient you and let you know what it is. And it, I think especially across many tourist maps I saw, they had this similar sort of orangey base color. And I was really mostly looking at European maps and then it kind of shifted elsewhere. So I don't know if it's like just this cognitive understanding in areas around Europe where the base maps of tourist areas just end up being this orangey base color. But I think that's especially why I felt this like, ooh, I feel like I haven't been here, but I have been here, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if this has to do with the fact that all art, uh, I've, I've made this assertion before, which is that all art is derivative, Cartographic products are derivative of one another. Maybe somebody started an orangey land color and other folks thought that was great and sort of copied it or tweaked it a little bit. And so I see that definitely being a possibility here with, with this map being similar. And I hadn't noticed the chunkiness of the roads, but now that you mentioned that, it, they are very chunky. and I kind of like it. It's different um, and maybe not something I would have decided to do, uh, but it definitely accommodates the typeface uh, to make it legible. It makes it really easy to read the road labels, which like probably most people, whether they're in a car or walking around, you just really need to know where you are when you're in a place you don't know. And it's definitely better. I hadn't thought about it before either, but it's definitely better to have that quickly legible, quickly seeable. And then the the orange base, is, there's no extra frills. So there's not any buildings or any sort of textures added onto this, which makes it really nice because this orange is kind of a strong orange. So and if they had added a lot on top, it could start looking really busy really fast. But despite it being a pretty contrasted base, I would say for most typical maps, it works really well here. And they also, in this particular map, balanced it with quite a few other vibrant um, hues across the map. Like the blues are really sort of vibrant in my perspective. And I just thought it was interesting to see because I think I often, when I'm making a base map, and this is also advice I give to others, is um, start with sort of more, you know, less saturated or less vibrant colors because you're probably going to end up putting on a lot of data on your map. I also like advocate for going out there and doing really vibrant and interesting things, but that's always like a harder thing to get to. So if you're just starting out, um, staying like a little more basic is a lot easier. So I really enjoyed seeing that. This was, you know, effectively, in my eyes, pushing the boundaries of what a general sort of base map for 
touristy things that having a lot of symbols and other such things on it might have done. Yes, I think that you're right. It takes a lot of boldness to have the bold colors. Uh, if I, Yeah, and I think that one reason for it could be, it, well, it could just be designer choice, but it could be because, I mean, if you're outside, there's bright sun, you might need that vibrancy in order to read the map. And so maybe this is one of those cases where it's a little bit more acceptable to have, look a little busier uh, because legibility is so important when you're outside traveling, you don't know where you are, you're tired, um, you know, you just want to easily see what you're looking at. So I think you're right to notice the bright colors. Oh my gosh, I love the blue. Um, I think it's a beautiful blue. And also, oh, you know what that makes me think of? Materials, like we're talking about woodblock, but uh, what these things are. What might be made out of. Yeah, um, so I think that durable materials for a travel map or a tourist map is important when you print it out. Um, and then, oh, right, I was going to say that your accommodations and, and the bathroom symbols are on here, which I agree is very important. And um, so for those that don't know, we, we call them icons, or a lot of times now we'll be hearing uh, the term POI, which stands for point of interest. And so when you're looking on something like Google Maps, you're going to have POIs, which are just either a little point with a label, or it's going to be a little icon with a label. And um, a tourist, you know, a tourist map is going to have more than that. And so it's very different from, I wanted to say very different from Google Maps, because this is really not just going to say, here's the blue promenade, and then there's a point, or here's the, I have no idea how to say this, Jergstead Culture Park in the upper left um, corner, the northwest corner. Um, it would have just had a dot on Google Maps and then a label, right? Um, or maybe a symbol. And here we have the actual drawing of it. And so I think that's important to point out. Yeah, I think I liked that the, you know, including various points, as needed and some of the symbols were more general, but the salient landmarks, <laughs> salient landmarks, just repeat. Yay, that. salient. <laughs> landmarks were, were definitely drawn out more in detail. And I just wanted to circle back to like the color and material and such things. I thought about that too, and I definitely have no idea what it was made out of, or it might've been a really good material or just printed on, printed on basic paper. But I also thought like maybe it was intentionally strong because thinking about how many of these, if they got a lot of use, maybe it would fade out or like to accommodate for a lot of folding or something. Like it's definitely not nothing I've ever had to think about. So it's trying to think like, ooh, um, beyond wanting vibrant colors, which I personally love doing, like there's definitely a lot of particular reasons why that could happen. Well, I guess just to get to something deeper and hopefully not too depressing, um, I had mentioned this to someone last week, which is that when you make a travel map in particular, I think that it's important to have a diverse team of cartographers who make that map because the more diverse the team, um, the more you might think, hey, we need restroom symbols or infant changing stations, or, you know, you just, um, you just sort of increase your chances that you're going to get it right for 
a vast majority of people. And if you don't have a diverse team, you know, sometimes it's just one cartographer working on their own. You can get feedback from other people and that's one way to do it. Or you can really use your sense of empathy to try to put yourself in the shoes of many different kinds of people with different needs um, and different uses for your map. Like wheelchair ramps, those should be on tourist maps. Right. Um, yes. That's such a great thing to bring up. And it really, um, it made me think about how, well, international, so we're recording this and you'll hear it a few weeks after, but International Women's Day was a few days ago. And I have helped organize or been part of um, workshops as well, where organized events where we would like, uh, people would make make data essentially um, through OpenStreetMap, this thing called OpenStreetMap, which is kind of like everyone says the Wikipedia of maps. And um, if you look it up, it's really great. And you are, you personally could add data yourself if you wanted to. And for International Women's Day, um, what is often discussed is how it's really important to have women and other, you know, every kind of diversity of thought making the data in addition to making the maps, because a, a man is not going to think of a lot of stuff that women need, um, like sanitation related things that are really particular to women. Um, and some places around the world are something that needs to be noted more quickly than elsewhere or you know birthing centers was something that i remember reading and just thinking like oh my god like that wasn't added on for a particular geography and it was something that was really important and integral for that particular space and so many things like that like yeah so circling back to you know our discussions about data last episode it does really matter how you're thinking about you know what your who made your data how you made your data how you're visualizing it it all matters who's on your team <laughs> it all it all matters who's on your team try try your best to get that diverse uh, flavor and you know get all those uh, that feedback that you need but also uh, don't let that be a, you know make you afraid to try or get your product out there and because it's all i mean I, I don't want to clash with my usual message, which is that everyone should try. Um, the more people, the better in cartography. Um, but if you can, you know, reach out for that feedback um, and to make that map better, um, it, you know, and, and I guess just try your best with that it would be my, my advice. Yeah, most definitely. I definitely personally have often um, not considered things that I just wasn't aware of and through like conversations and asking for advice or just learning later on, like maybe a few years later, I realized there were some things I needed to be making sure to incorporate and just understanding and acknowledging and being able to move forward and grow from that and have conversations about it, I think is especially important to, um, yeah, like, no one's perfect as long as we're all trying and as long as we're trying to be better and trying to include everyone. Yeah. And so, yeah, just to wrap up, they, you know, these are three, you know, very different tourist maps or, or travel maps. And I think that they, you know, the last one that we saw, of course, has, 
a very different look and feel, and it's geographically correct, whereas the other two were more diagrammatic. Um, but they all serve the same purpose. Hey, here are the, the important places, and they all use the pictographs, which is important to note. And I guess that's why I thought these three maps were very instructive for the travel map maker. Yeah, I loved how these all tied together, despite, you know, at a glance, them looking so aesthetically different. Uh, that also, that's always just so enjoyable in these episodes to like, see how things connect and then to think about it more and kind of philosophize across time and such. Um, speaking of, some of the aesthetics in these maps may pop up in our next episode, which we're really excited to have you listen to next week. Um, we're going to be talking about some pop culture stuff. Uh, and yeah, I don't pop know. Culture. Yeah, we, you'll have to tune in to hear about it, or maybe we'll have some teasers on Twitter. There may already have been teasers, but um, you'll have to tune in to hear. And do let us know on Twitter or, you know, reaching out uh, on our websites if you don't have twitter we'd love to hear from you and answer your questions and send us your favorite tourist map that you've seen um we'd love to take a look at it absolutely bye for now bye <laughs>